We are Allie and Erica, certified integrative nutrition health coaches in gut and hormone health and the hosts of the podcast, Courageous Wellness. We are committed to destigmatizing conversations in the wellness space and celebrate the experiences and lessons of our guests in pursuit of physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness. Listen to Courageous Wellness wherever you get your podcasts with fresh episodes every Wednesday. The following content is not suitable for children. What do couples want to work on? One of the hardest things to do, Lori, is figuring out what the hell are we going to talk about in the first place? So let's help couples figure it out. Okay. I want to know if I'm a couple, like, where am I at? What's happening relationally? What's happening in my emotional life? And let's help them with a plan of how to have this talk. Yeah. And figure out what are the things they're bringing to the table to talk about in the first place. So when I think about work, I think about two things. Work is trying to celebrate what is already working all the strengths and beauty that we have. That's why we're in a relationship. That's part of work, Mm -hmm. acknowledging that, celebrating that. And the second part of work is figuring out how do we improve? What are the new moves to the things that aren't working so well? So let's talk about both of those. What's working, celebrate it, and what's not working so well so we can improve it. Okay. Welcome to Foreplay Sex Therapy. I'm Dr. Lori Watson, your sex therapist. And I'm George Fowler, your couples therapist. We are here to talk about sex. Our mission is to help couples talk about sex in ways that incorporate their body, their mind, and their hearts. And we have a little bit of fun doing it, right, G? Listen, and let's change some relationships. So I I just got to say, this is something that as an emotional pursuer, this would be a conversation I'd be really anxious to have. And I'm just aware, like, you know, as an emotional withdrawer, do you think this would be an emotional withdrawer favorite conversation? Probably not. (laughs) Probably waiting to get hit with all the things I I need to do better on. But I think it helps when we we can start with a recognition of what is working and, and to not only acknowledge that, but we know the research is clear. What you give your attention to, you grow it. Yes. Right? So if you just focus on problems all the time, you just get sucked into the negativity. Exactly. Right? But sometimes, like, what are the strengths that this couple has? Maybe they fight all the time, right? but they have great sex or they're great parents or they're really committed towards each mm-hmm. other or they're really open to some of these conversations. Their love is fierce. It's strong. Their loyalty is, is, is impressive. They're passionate. Like, there's so much that that comes together to make a relationship and how do most couples never have this conversation. They don't take the time to tell each other, this is what I really like about you. This is what I value. This is what I appreciate. This is what inspires me. Yeah. I mean, that stuff's just as important. Yeah. When I think about couples that have strengths, like, you know, I think about interesting people. Like my daughter-in-law is just one of the most interesting people I've ever met. You know, I could listen to her all day long. She has story after story to tell. She's engaging. She's positive. She's enthusiastic. And I think that brings a real strength to her marriage, you know, because she's always got something to talk about that is interesting, something that she's working on, you know, part of her work or just now any direction. And I, I think that that you know, if you have a lively conversationalist in your marriage, that's super exciting. 
And maybe you don't have a great conversationalist, but that person's a good listener. Yeah, that's another sign. They're not going to take the microphone and make it about them all the time. Can you acknowledge that? Like, I appreciate that you listen well. You're able to focus on on me more than yourself a lot of times. That you're a hard worker that you can sacrifice for the family. Yeah. I'm thinking of withdrawers, right? You know, being told what are the things that they do well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or the flip side for pursuers being told, thank you for fighting for this relationship, that you invest a lot into thinking about these things. Right. That, that you're quick to bring up difficult conversations. Yeah. The I mean, I think like the great listening part, my husband, who is more of an emotional withdrawer, you know, he often gives me 30 minutes, like we go for a walk and... I'm listening all day long to people and I just need to download a little bit. I need to download my own life, you know, things that I'm concerned about. And he listens very well. He he does a lot of good reflection and all of that. So if I were doing this assessment with him, I would definitely point out this, this is a strength that, you know, it's very meaningful to me that you give me this time that you listen so carefully I also don't demand that he keep track of all that stuff, but in the yeah. moment, it's nice that he listens. Yeah. So we're hoping our listeners, you know, take a moment. Can you make a list of the qualities that you really like about your partner? Do you share that with each other? Yeah. Because maybe you trust your partner. That's something that you just don't have to doubt. We take these things for granted. No, let's just name that. Yeah. Like, you know, despite our problems, I really trust you. I know if anything happened, you'd be there in a heartbeat. I mean, how lucky are we if we can feel that? Exactly. Right. So exactly. let's acknowledge that, or maybe just make explicit your love. I, I just, you know, I, I love you despite our challenges. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate your loyalty. Right. I appreciate your openness. I appreciate your intelligence. You know, I appreciate your honesty. I mean, the list can be endless, but most couples never take the time. Like we just take this for granted. So much of what we try to help couples do is become more intentional and deliberate, right? To not get so focused on what's wrong that they make space, they focus on creating space that sees what's right. And it's amazing how much safety that creates when, when you're seeing your problems in a context that's not taking up all the space. It's just put in a perspective of this bigger picture, which is surrounded by love and intimacy and connection. Yeah. And I think that this, you know, like anything, when we start by telling each other our appreciation for the good qualities, you know, maybe then talking about the challenges isn't quite as threatening. It's like we can hold on to, okay, you you do think I'm good in some ways. That's good. You know, I mean, maybe even as you do this assessment, we're still in the school of love. We're trying to help you organize you know, how to grow as a couple. And this is one area we want you to do this assessment and maybe even writing it down, you know, like what is our strength here? Do we have a shared vision? I think that one's really powerful. Like our vision is to raise our children to be as independent and empathic as possible. That's a beautiful shared vision. And maybe you have another vision, you know, maybe it's like we have a shared vision to travel the world and, you know, have as many enriching experiences possible. And that is something we both value and we're working toward. And, you know, so, I mean, that might be another area that you write down. Beautiful. Acknowledgements of these qualities that you like, the vision that you've already created, milestones, right? That you've had three beautiful kids, that you have this house, you know, that you've reached some goals, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just your relationship that I love how you are as a, as a son to your parents. Mm-hmm. I love how you are as a friend. I love you how you are as a parent. Yeah. See the whole person and see, you know, when we start from a strengths position, we're more resourced to then look at the challenges. Right. So true, because there are so many things to love about our partners. Just like you said, I, I think about, you know, my own husband and the way he is as a father. I mean, he's, he's really a loving, available father. He will spend all day with our kids talking through their issues. I mean, on a heartbeat notice, he would go to lunch with any of them. He would drive them anywhere. They, they need a car repair. Hey, let me take you. I mean, he's just really, really available both emotionally and physically, you know, to hang in there with them. Yeah, we know the brain has a negativity bias. It wants to focus on threats because it wants to kind of create that, that safety. But we also know that when you have positive moments, you have to be intentional to stretch them out. Otherwise, they can just kind of fall away pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and when couples do this, they really strengthen their relationship. Yeah. So from this place of being resourced, you know, let's talk about some of the issues. Like how do we put all of them on the table just to assess, you know, what are some of the things we want to improve upon? Mm-hmm. So I know, Laura, you talk about couples being developmentally in different places. This might give you a snapshot of like, where are we at? Yeah. So I kind of have staged relationships. It's on my website. And stage them in terms of their difficulties and what that might mean for the future of their relationship. So early difficulties, Mm -hmm. you know, you're in a committed relationship, but maybe you still need some skills in how to communicate. Maybe you need to understand each other's expectation. This is often early marriage, right? We, We get married and we think we are have found the one and they are just like us. And suddenly what, you know, comes up is, oh, we're really different. We have different ideas here. We have, you know, and we don't know necessarily how to talk about those things. And so this is kind of a a skills acquisition stage. You know, it's, there's not bad feelings. There's still a lot of trust, but you're beginning to see that, oops, there's these few difficulties here that we're running into you know, maybe our families didn't communicate very well. So, I mean, that's kind of the beginning of where you need to work on it. I always love, Lori, I always love when the couples like get some premarital counseling, like really just trying to get those tools recognized because you're in love and filled with oxytocin. You just, you're not ready for, you know, missed expectations and the stuff that happens and just normalizing that, that that's just part of the process of learning two people stretching and growing and trying to figure out how to jive with each other. Yeah. You know, this, how do you listen? How do you repair that critical, you know, elements for successful couples is that ability to have conversations and have success. But if you grow up in families where you don't do that, that could be quite challenging. So again, just normalizing that for newly new new couples. Right. And they say, you know, premarital counseling reduces divorce by something like 40%. Just statistically, it's so good. And, you know, I have a son getting married and they haven't had a fight yet. You know, (laughs) and I'm glad for them that it's so great and they're so in love. But I know, right, as a marital therapist, that negative cycle is coming for them because we can't possibly always be smooth. We're two different people. And so I'm counting on the fact that he grew up in our household and he is really concerned about how to communicate. He sent 
me a message the other day, tell me Rav again, tell me how you do Rav, reflection, evocative questioning and validation. He really wants to learn that technique so that things go better. And I was very excited that he did that. So another stage that would be slightly more difficult is really the power struggle. This is when the negative cycle has kicked in. You know, and there's anger issues, there's bickering, there's fighting, there's arguing, there's an increase of negativity. We get disappointed by just daily living. You know, you, you don't put down the toilet seat. I, I had somebody call me, a client the other day who said, you know, she just blew up at me because I didn't put my dish in the sink, you know, and told me, you know, called me a name. I can't believe this. And it's like, yeah, I know. But I also know that this was an ongoing issue and she kind of reached her end level and she didn't have the skills to talk about what she felt about this. And so instead she resorted to something that was more toxic. And then, of course, he started slamming doors and, you know, it, it was the negative cycle full on. Yeah, this is the honeymoon wears off. This is the grind of real life when you got to work and kids and dishes and all the logistics of life, right? The middle road stuff we can talk about that couples start to lose the high road, the exciting things, the things that reconnect them. And they just, they, you know, you, you start to run on empty. Right. When you start to run on empty, you have to protect yourself. And we fall into these predictable patterns. So this is this stuff we're going to talk lots about, but you're just recognizing again, there's nothing weird that you're struggling Right. It's, it's hard to, to jive two lives and two different perspectives. And this, you know, stepping on each other's toes and finding yourself not getting a lot out of a relationship for all you're putting in. You know, a lot of couples find themselves in that place. Right. So let's come back and talk about that next phase. Hey, all. Foria has just dropped a brand new formula, massage oil with organic botanicals. Ooh, think about an evening by the fire with Foria massage oil designed to help you get in the mood by supporting foreplay and lingering touch. Foria massage oil and awaken arousal oil and sex oil make you and your partner feel and experience pleasure and sex in increased sensual ways. Sensuality starts with Foria, in fact. Y'all may not think that you need extra help in the bedroom, but you will be pleasantly surprised by how much better and more pleasurable your relationship and sexual experiences can be. If you're looking for the perfect gift for your partner or for someone else, massage oil to spice things up by slowing things down, or awaken, imagine the best orgasm or sex you have ever had. Now imagine that it could be even better. So for bigger or better orgasms, arousal oil. Yes, you have my endorsement to go ahead and treat yourself and your partner and experience your juiciest and deepest sensual experiences with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our Foreplay fam. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash foreplay or use the code foreplay at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash foreplay for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their new massage oil combined with their Awaken Arousal Oil. You'll thank me later. Cozy, cozy. It's like my favorite thing this time of year. Cozy Earth. Ooh, they're sheets. They are so warm for me and so cool for my husband because they have temperature regulating bedding. It's amazing. Their loungewear is crafted from the breathable and luxurious materials such as bamboo from viscose and 100% mulberry silk. Ah, 
It is so soft. I'm telling you, I lent it to a girlfriend when she came to visit, and she said it was the softest fabric she'd ever felt. Cozy Earth offers premium bath products from bath towels and robes. All are available in luxurious fabrics, and you can find the perfect fit that will elevate your post-bath experience, like have your own in-home spa. Cozy Earth provides an exclusive offer for our Foreplay fam with 35% off site-wide when you use the code Foreplay. That's CozyEarth.com with the code Foreplay for 35% off. So one of the later stages that when the negative cycle has really started to win is detachment. One or both parties might feel like they kind of are not in love anymore. And we hear this a lot, right? I mean, I think when you're in the midst of the power struggle and there's negative stuff going on, it's really easy to go, do I even love this person? I I think love is work. It's not necessarily just a feeling. But I think what I'm talking about is that sense where people start to detach Maybe the person who was the pursuer really becomes burned out and doesn't try anymore. And the withdrawer is just like, I've given up. They don't, they don't care about me. I'm just not going to try. And so they start to wonder, you know, do I have anything in common? They start to avoid each other. And that's really when there's a lack of affection in sex. Yeah. yeah. And that, I, I like that we're just trying to normalize it. Like when you're stuck in the grind for so long and the distance increases, it's normal to have doubts. Yeah. It's normal to say like, this is not what I thought it was, was my relationship was going to look like. Right. So couples who could just kind of weather this and learn how to talk about their mistrust, but find each other and can repair like this is easily overcome this period. Yeah. Right. But for a lot of couples, sadly, this is where they find someone else or they give up. And, you know, some of the research says if couples who divorce would just stay together another six months, like they they would get through some of this stuff and they would wind up being okay. Right. Right. So like, if you find yourself in this place, don't have despair. There is a way out of it. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about, how to have conversations that bridge the distance. But doesn't it make sense when there's a lot of distance, we start to mistrust, we start to get discouraged, we start to get beaten down by this thing. So if you find yourself there, you're not alone. Yeah. And you kind of led right into the next stage. Sometimes, you know, when you're in that detached stage, people start looking for somebody else. And this is when there could be an attachment rupture, you know, where they do have an affair Mm -hmm. or they cheat, or it's just an emotional affair, or there's online infidelity or, you know, and sometimes people start to notice this and it creates a lot of problems. Trust starts to be questioned, you know, gosh, you used to let me look at your phone and now you don't anymore. And why have you changed all your passwords? And I don't see affairs as the end of a relationship. They're often a cry for help. Super painful. Super, super painful. We don't want to minimize that. But when the attachment is ruptured with this kind of lying or cheating, you know, it can be super painful, but there can be repair and it can sort of shake things up in a way that it reorders. If you get the work done, if you go and you get help and therapy, it can reorder your life and you can come out of this still stronger. Exactly. I mean, we are connecting beings, right? When we find ourselves in disconnection with lots of distance in our relationship, then we have to cope. 
And it's at this point where a lot of people turn towards someone else mm-hmm. or they turn towards, you know, a substance, you know, alcohol, drugs, shopping, a TV, a cell phone, just as a way of managing disconnection. It's also where people turn towards violence or acting out behaviors. And we're not given that permission. We're just trying to normalize when, I, when we're, our needs are not being met we're more susceptible for finding other ways of protecting ourselves. Yeah. So some of the things that we want you to look for too, this is from Gottman Research, and he says that there's four symptoms that indicate that you're really close to a breakup. And that's profound criticism. It's not just, look at you didn't put the dish up. It's character criticism. You know, you're a selfish person. And kind of contempt, which includes behavior like name-calling. If you've to feeling so bad about your partner and so angry and you start to call names, that's a bad sign. That's a sign that, you know, this is becoming unworkable. Or you're just defensive to the point and that you don't want to try or you just start to stonewall each other. Like, you know, I'm going about my day, but I, don't, I pretend you're not even there. And that can be very problematic. And just we want you to observe that, like, you know, are any of these four symptoms part of what's happening between us? Not occasionally, but it's sort of characterizing our negative cycle. And and that, you're in deep trouble. What do they call them? The four horsemen of the apocalypse? Yep, exactly. He has a catchy phrase for it. But again, I, what I, I hope people are not getting depressed listening to this. It's just as a way, once you make something explicit and you put it on a table, you can address it. If you just keep kind of pushing it under the rug, you know, this is what leaves couples in in a place where they can't repair it. So there's an evolutionary development to relationships from the beginning to the end. So wherever you find yourself along the way, right, that ability to just talk about it. I mean, this podcast is about getting partners to talk, to be able to say, hey, listen, this is what's working or this is what's not working. And I'm not bringing this up to beat up my partner. I'm bringing this up because I want something better. And to me, that's the good news behind all the complaining or talking about problems is there's a longing inside all of us that says it could be better. Don't settle for just having this survival mode you find yourself in. You know, relationships were meant for something better than just survival. It's where we're supposed to thrive. We all go through tough periods in relationships, but we need to find ourselves on the other side where we can come back together and really kind of enjoy being in each other's presence. Yeah. So we want you to take this episode. You're assessing your emotional connection. What are the strengths? Where are you at? You know, what stage are you at in terms of your conflicts and your challenges? We believe as therapists that most of these things we can help you with. Even these days, I think EFT is managing domestic violence and addiction. I mean, there are ways that there's special training for that. So we have a lot more hope as our model expands to help with really, really difficult, tough issues. Um, So we would encourage you don't give up. We would encourage you get help if you're at one of the later stages of problems. You know, definitely time to get in there and get some help. So, Laura, you talked about addictions as a as a you know an example of what people do to cope, right? And if your life is a drag and you're grinding along and you don't want to fight, you know, taking the edge off becomes easy and easier to turn somewhere else. 
right? It's what we call competing attachments. Like we just look for some respite. We look for a break from the negativity. So we look for these short-term strategies. And then in the big picture, they make things a lot worse because now you're not engaging. You're even going further away from the other person. And it just feeds these negative cycles. That's right. I mean, I was working with a couple, you know, and the man had come from some really difficult family of origin issues. I think he had lost his father who he had been connected to and his mother was kind of absent and he used pot every day, you know, and he used it to take the edge off. One time he tried coming to therapy. Hi. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. we can't talk if you're high. There's, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to work. But I mean, it was something that it was so difficult for him to encounter intimate moments that he just, he wanted to take that edge off, but he didn't realize that how it was impacting his partner, how she didn't really feel like she ever saw the real him or could depend on those answers. You know, but he was so afraid of criticism and just, it was so painful to him to have these kinds of conversations, you know, and then it became a habit, right? It was every night, as soon as I, he got home, you know, he'd get high and, and then, you know, eventually his children and his partner, they just, didn't have them. And that was such a painful partner structure. And it was such a painful issue for the family as well. Right. It's my favorite, one of my favorite lines that I was saying, everybody focuses on the drinking and not the thirst. Yeah. Right. Everybody focuses on changing the behavior without understanding what drives that behavior, right? It's a way of coping. Like ultimately addicts have to find better ways of dealing with their pain. Mm-hmm. When they can start talking about that, they can start talking about how this guy doesn't know how to do intimacy. You know, what happens right before he has that drink where he's not fitting in and he doesn't like himself or he's feeling discouraged? I mean, he's got to learn how to talk about that and feel better. That's the right. work, right? But it's so hard to do that. And when every conversation leads to a fight around these topics, and yeah. you want to then not have the conversations either. Exactly. So, you know, if you find yourself addicted, right? Because your body has gotten used to something, you know, and that's to me, the secret of AA is getting people to come together and do vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? To have these emotional conversations, say, hey, I'm an addict, I'm helpless to, I need the people around me to hold me accountable, to support me, to listen to my problems. Like people have success in these places of struggle instead of isolation and, and shame and despair, right? And, and, and couples can learn to do that for each other. Right, which is the good news. There's a lot, so much of the addiction research is moving in the direction of attachment, saying, "Hey, listen, we need to see the relationship as a resource, not as just something that you know is threatened all the time by these things." Exactly, and I appreciate what you just said. You know, in order to start to heal, we have to think about what is that feeling before the reach for the substance. You know, what is the bad feeling that the substance is trying to mask or trying to relieve? We know this is probably going to be a tough conversation for withdrawers and probably a conversation that our emotional pursuers are dying to have. How can we get more connected? You know, the strengths piece, easy peasy, the challenge piece, difficult, we know it. Maybe write it down again. You know, maybe it's just one thing that you write down as a central challenge. You know, I feel like we get caught in the negative cycle around this. And then have a limited conversation. I say an hour on this max. You can. It's going to be multiple conversations, so don't drown each other with hours and hours of talking about this. 
uh, just for some parameters around this talk. We got to gather the material to have successful conversations. And it starts with this first step. What are the things that we are doing well? What are the things we want to do better at? Remember what's driving it is so healthy, right? What's driving it is, is wanting more from your relationship. And when couples you know, can really get pushed in the same direction and say, hey, listen, we got to tolerate the discomfort of some of these difficult conversations to achieve the goal. Right? That goal is more connection, more out of the relationship. And when you get that, love grows love, right? We start to come from a place of abundance instead of a place of scarcity, which is what these negative cycles produce. Exactly. So again, this is the first step. We're just trying to help you all try to figure out what it is you want to talk about. And we're going to, these next episodes coming up, we're going to start walking you through some of the tools and techniques that are going to actually lead to more successful encounters. Okay. Thanks for listening. Keep it hot, baby. Okay, so tell us about your cutting edge training that you're doing on success and vulnerability. Laura, we just keep pushing it, coming up with a new module on the playbook of a pursuer, playbook of a witcher, really practical moment by moment moves of what a therapist can use. You know, we're so focused on what's happening in session. Enough there's talk about theories and these global things. We, I think most therapists are looking for, what do I do in this moment? Give me a tool, George. So that's what we're trying to do. That's awesome. I am so glad you guys are doing this work. I think it helps us be organized to see you do it. You do demos, you do explanations, teaching. It really is interactive. And I think that so many trainings that we sit through don't give us an opportunity for that. So what you're doing is really important. No, we try to emphasize the teach it, show it, do it model of learning. Uh, you need to have some ideas, so we try to teach those. And then we try to show what it looks like implementing those ideas. But most importantly, you now got to practice it. That's how they become yours. And that's what we want our, our listeners and watchers to do is become their own moves. Find George and his teaching at successandvulnerability.com. Call in your questions to the 4Play question voicemail. Dial 833-MY-4PLAY. That's 833-MY, the number 4, PLAY. And we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor. This podcast is copyrighted by Foreplay Media.